0: If it is true that what is at bottom, or at least an important part of the explanation for why these differences continue to persist, is this subconscious notion that blacks are somehow different than, that I am not morally responsible for those differences. The differences have moved on have changed, we don't see those blatant things. If that's true, then I'm gonna use my faith tradition. What we know about being a Christ follower is the key, Mm -hmm. is the key to solving these puzzles. And these puzzles are not simple, right? But it is the key to solving the dehumanization assumption, right? So we think about being a Christian That is a follower of Christ. What did Christ announce his ministry as? He said, I'm anointed to preach the gospel to whom? To the poor, the recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to prisoners, and freedom to the oppressed, right? If my tradition is Judaism, what did Isaiah tell me to call and cry out against injustice, right? In both of those traditions, and I dare say in others I know less well, the fundamental equality of humanity is a moral and spiritual mandate that the rest of the world needs to understand. Mm-hmm. And we have it. Mm-hmm. We are compelled to live by it. Mm-hmm. And that's motivation to have the hard conversations.
1: Right. Right. So, Dana, we've talked... Um a lot about, and I've emphasized uh, from the beginning, Jesus' charge to us to love our neighbors. And uh, I opened this entire project with the supposition that we can't love our neighbors if we don't know their story. Mm -hmm. Uh, That does focus a lot on the individual. Mm -hmm. And I do think that, as you have just unpacked for us, the Questions about implicit and explicit bias are things that every Christian Mm -hmm. uh, must absolutely be considering and evaluating and uh, sort of sussing as they're maturing uh, as an individual. Mm -hmm. But it seems true to me also that that moral imperative is not just personal, but also institutional. Mm -hmm. And here, I'd like to talk just briefly about the moral imperative on the church and the church in America mm. today. Do you have any thoughts on uh, on that and the ways that the church should be engaging with racism?
0: I do. Um, I do have thoughts, and um, some of them stem from recent tragic events that I think coalesce um, my thinking around the really important structural role that the church has played. Now understand, I was raised in the Baptist church Mm -hmm. tradition of uh, social activism being a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is that bias, strong bias. I think it's biblically supported, but I also (laughs) do believe that when you look at what's happening currently, where did Dylan Roof go to do the terrible, horrible thing that he did in South Carolina? He went to a church where people were praying. Right? Fast forward to Louisville, Kentucky. Where did that deranged man go? He went to a Baptist church in Louisville, Kentucky, and then in Pittsburgh. Where did the attack occur? Now, those aren't the only attacks. We could talk about country music, and we can talk about other terrible places where those attacks. But I don't think that it is coincidence. And I more importantly think that it is a clarion cry to action right? That the church, we know, as you said, how to love. Mm -hmm. We know that love is difficult, Mm -hmm. right? We know that more is required than just to listen, but we know that love is a verb in the church. It is a action that love compels us to, right? For God so loved the world that he did something he gave, right? Right? And so I think it is imperative that we roll up our sleeves in the church and we give, not only give ear to the problem, but we give love to the problem of racism in America, right? And what if we did that? What would it mean to God's mission that the world would know us by our love Mm
1: -hmm.
0: if the 11 o'clock hour ceased being the most segregated hour in America? What would it mean for us as a church institutionally to take leadership in the very hard conversations about racism instead of avoiding them, right? And I think there's there's a, a reasonable explanation for why racism is difficult to talk about, right? We have seen even recently that any mention of race is equated with being a racist. That's wrong. Any mention of The problem of racial disparity seems to be met with the concern that we might be playing the race card. We might be racist. Racism is structural, Mm -hmm. it's historical, and as a lawyer I know that it is legally enabled. So here's what the church could do. The church could, because we are not afraid of love, we saw Jesus must need go to Samaria, Mm -hmm. right? We saw Jesus Christ Love the oppressed, set the prisoners free, we could have the hard conversations about why race plays such a disproportionate role in mass incarceration, right? We can have the hard conversations, both on an institutional and an individual level, right? Let me tell you what racism means to me individually, right? What my life is like, right? And I'm doing this because so many people think that racism is this mysterious thing. But it hits and causes health disparities right at a personal level. So I'm a mother of three children. You're a parent as well. And I tell you that when my children hit driving age, the same way you're going to have anxiety, I'm going to have anxiety. My anxiety is going to be different, though. Because of structural racism, I'm worried not only that my children might drive poorly, but that they might get stopped by a police officer who is taught, because of racism, to be afraid of them. Right? That police officer does not have to be a good or bad person. I've been stopped by that police officer, Right? where I'm driving out of my office at the university and the police officer stops me because of a tag, a taillight, anything doing his or her job, in this instance, it was her, and she's trembling. She's not trembling because she's afraid of her job. She's trembling because she's afraid of me. Right? So I'm up at night, every night, worried, not only that my kid's driving is a problem, but that if they get stopped by the police and make one false move, they're dead. I'm also afraid that when my kid is sitting in the classroom, that because the data tells me that the teacher doesn't live near me, doesn't know my cultural cues, is afraid of my kid, especially as he grows up or as she grows up older and starts to bring up stereotypes, they might be disciplined differently. They certainly won't enjoy the same expectation of success. And so my stress as a black woman, because of racism, and the structural inequities in this society is that I've got to compensate. I've got to tell my kid be super polite. I've got to tell my kid be super afraid when you're walking in a white neighborhood. I've got to tell myself be super vigilant to compensate for the expectations that teachers will not have. And I do this every day, every day, every day, every day. Right? Those structural differences between my experience lived experience as a parent and your lived experience as a parent have a physical impact, right? And that's why racism is personal. That's part of the explanation for these health disparities, right? So what would the church do? The church would, unlike the larger society, not dehumanize my experience, not discount my experience, but roll up its sleeves and dive into the solutions that would make it make it better, right? Would start to solve those inequities. And they're not easy solutions, right? We have to have contact with one another. We have to deliberately tear down the walls that have segregated and isolated us. Lewis, it is my belief that the violence in Charlottesville was built not from the outside, as so many people wanted to tell me when I arrived, right? right. But that was built on years of isolation and dehumanization that made us so unfamiliar with one another that we could tell ourselves stories about how different we are, about how One group owns and the other group doesn't own. One group is entitled and the other group isn't entitled. And that could only foment, I'm going to be a little heavy here, because the church remained tolerant of that isolation. Imagined that it did not have deep and penetrating consequences. We know that dehumanization leads to violence, right? And now that we've seen it, stared it in the face, And understood that the evil one is really interested in destruction we can recover we can change and I think we have as faith communities the best hope of changing this terrible terrible sense of racism that we have in this country now
1: it is time to recover it is time to recover a courageous gospel
0: I have a colleague in the religious studies department, you know who I'm talking about, who wrote a very moving piece immediately after August 11th and 12th, Mm -hmm. 2017. And I've heard Heather Heyer's mother speak in these terms, and so I'll take the privilege of saying that in her honor as well. It is... If you can imagine the tragedy of her death Mm -hmm. as something that could lead to good, I can Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. again my faith tells me that God can Mm -hmm. work all things together for For good. good. It is Mm -hmm. in some ways good Mm -hmm. that Charlottesville now has an opportunity Mm -hmm. to go back and revisit dehumanization, Mm -hmm. racism, and the harms that it caused seriously and continues to cause today. Out of the moral mandate of love, mm-hmm. a concern for the oppressed, for the prisoners, for the mm-hmm. poor, and for the blind, mm-hmm. we can do that today, mm-hmm. and that gives me a lot of hope.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm deeply encouraged by your hope, and you know what? I'm ready to walk with you in that. Thank you so much for You're taking welcome. some time. You're welcome. Thanks
0: for asking.
2: For those of you who are interested in taking steps toward loving your neighbor, the following is a list of opportunities for community engagement in Charlottesville. 100 Black Men of Central Virginia's M-Cubed program. A summer program designed to help rising fifth through eighth graders develop strong math skills. Abundant Life Ministries. Centered in Charlottesville's Prospect Avenue neighborhood, Abundant Life Ministries exists to provide community development support through tutoring, mentorship, and other avenues of care. African-American Teaching Fellows exists to promote the presence of African-American teachers in Charlottesville and Albemarle schools. City of Promise, the result of several interrelated efforts over the course of 10 years to provide pathways of support for children in three of the city's under-resourced neighborhoods. West Haven, Tenth and Page, and Star Hill. The Jefferson School African American Heritage Center. The center's mission is to honor and preserve the rich heritage and legacy of the African American community of Charlottesville and Albemarle, and to promote a greater appreciation for and understanding of the contributions of African Americans and peoples of the diaspora locally, nationally, and globally. Public Housing Association of Residents PHARCville exists to educate and empower low-income residents to protect and improve our own communities through collective action. Sisters Keeper Collective Promotes public health equity by providing free doulas to black women navigating the health system during pregnancy. Resilience Education exists to stop cycles of incarceration by improving employment outcomes and re-entry success through high-quality business education for participants. UCARE The University and Community Action for Racial Equity is dedicated to helping the University of Virginia and Charlottesville communities work together to understand the University's role in slavery, racial segregation, and discrimination.